love coffee. It's just, <laughs> it's just great. It's a great drink. Yeah. <laughs> this is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. Audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 260 of the world's leading and only audio newspaper for a visual world for the week beginning Monday, the 17th of February 2014, with me, Andy Zaltzman, five-time dreamboat of the year in balding ginger cricket-obsessed Laps Dew magazine. Shalom, ladies. Uh, reporting live from the <laughs> London archipelago and joining me from across an increasingly large pond, it's the man who turns cows into milkshakes just by vigorously palpating their udders during an earthquake into a bucket full of strawberries. So the rumour goes, <laughs> each to their own. It's John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Look, if this week has taught us one thing, Andy, it's that snowboarding has no place in the Olympics. <laughs> and I'll tell you why, Andy. They're f***ing smiling all the time. <laughs> All I saw this week is snowboarders coming down a mountain, failing, smiling and congratulating each other. That is an absolute disgrace, Andy. <laughs> Athletes should not have more perspective on life than anyone else. <laughs> they just keep coming down and go, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I, lo- I had a good time. I'm here with friends. It's all fun, isn't it? No, it's not! <laughs> That's not what the Olympics is about. Andy, I watch sports to see someone's world fall apart. <laughs> I want to see... I want to see an expression cross their face of, I dedicated three decades of my life to this, and now it's all pointless. <laughs> what I don't want to see is, oh, that was fun. F*** you, snowboarders. <laughs> well, it's about time someone said it, John. It's about time. Oh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> it's almost like dis- disappointment is zero sum, and when they're happy, I have to get angry. <laughs> How could they could fall over, get up and smile? No! <laughs> so this is Bugle for the week beginning uh, Monday the 17th of February uh, On this day, 17th February in the year 1600 The Italian philosophy ace Giordano Bruno Was executed for his crazy far out views Such as that the sun is just another star Knocking about in space like all the other stars uh, That qualified him as a heretic in those days And he was burned at the stake uh, In Rome in the Campo de Fiori Which... Uh, well, uh, for those of you who know Rome, that makes sense. There's some cracking pizza places around there. They probably just popped him in the oven. Yeah. Lovely, lovely little wine bar in the Campo <laughs> de Fiori as well. I hope they have, let him have a cheeky little glass of Barolo beforehand. Otherwise, that would have really stung. Um, he was a big mnemonics fan, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Bruno, um, and pioneer, author of The Art of Memory. In fact, the very last two mnemonics he developed were this, Father Ignacio rode an elephant fast until Capua, ki- kipping in nice gardens, hardly urinating, rarely taking shits. That was a mnemonic <laughs> to remember the phrase, fire f***ing hurts. And uh, this one as well, uh, Pope Clement must have had... Uh, uh, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> and uh, this other one, Pope Clement must have a shriveled old floppy dick, uh, which stood for poison by... Poisoning by carbon monoxide, heat stroke, asphyxiation, shock, organ failure, death. So, uh, terrific, uh, terrific mnemonic <sighs> fan. Uh, as always, uh, section of the Bugle's going straight in the bin. This week, uh, well, a few sections, a personal finance section, an impersonal finance section. It's best to be ruthlessly objective about these things, otherwise you might as well dig Trotsky up and say, go on, pal, have another go. And also in the bin, free audio golf lessons with the American golf guru, Fluty Gunscombe, part one. 
Yeah, you need to aim a little bit more down the middle there and uh, not play in an archaeological museum. Try again. Top story this week. Heart-shaped balloon sales are up and so is the suicide rate. It must be <laughs> Valentine's Day. <laughs> Andy, Valentine's Day is such a commercially special time of year. Yes. It is that yep. ro- romantic time to um, look a loved one in the eyes and say, look, I remembered, all right? I don't want to hear any <laughs> shit. <laughs> I mean, those are just memories to last a lifetime. <laughs> Throughout history... Valentine's Day has been a date synonymous with romantic gestures and massacres. And (laughs) fittingly, there were a number of stories about the art of love uh, this week. And in an act of perfect timing, the White House enjoyed a state visit earlier this week from Francois Hollande, President of France, the nation, of course, instantly identifiable with love and military capitulation. (laughs) However, (laughs) however... It came with a need for some diplomatic tightrope walking after Francois Hollande's quintessentially French decision to trade in the First Lady of France for a younger French actress (laughs) to the somewhat mystifying shock of the people of France and the First Lady of France. I mean, come on, both of you. You know what you signed up for when you elected and or married a man with a French passport. (laughs) It was a matter of time before he was caught on a scooter outside his mistress's house. And by the way, that is not an offensive stereotype. That's literally what happened. (laughs) Um, This meant that the White House had to quickly and discreetly destroy all the state dinner invitations due to the fact that they were inviting people to a dinner honouring Francois Hollande and his wife, the wife who is now presumably at home cutting his face out of their wedding photos. (laughs) Uh, White House aides then apparently had to delay printing any new invitations as they were waiting to hear whether to include his new mistress on the invitation or not. And perhaps wisely... Hollande opted not to bring her, although that would have been a really ballsy move, Andy. Turn up to your state dinner with your mistress sitting on the back of the official French presidential scooter. So, instead, the invitation simply read, you are cordially invited to the White House to enjoy a state dinner honouring Francois Hollande, President of France and the human Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> Yes, he ended up, uh, as you say, going solo, um, Alon. So they, in fact, gave him Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a date, the long-standing Supreme Court judge. Uh, apparently, uh, <laughs> relations between them were, quotes, a bit frosty, but with some potential. Um, <laughs> and, uh, in fact, it goes even beyond what you suggest in terms of uh, the damage he's done <laughs> to America's view of the French. Because I think America tends to have a stereotype view of what France is all about. I think this has been exacerbated over the last decade and a bit uh, during the uh, various disagreements during the war on mm-hmm. terror. So this was a chance for Hollande to uh, build bridges. But in his first, this is the first state visit by a French president to America for 20 years. And in terms of getting rid of stereotypes, it wasn't his wife that he did not bring. It was the girlfriend that he ditched his wife for that he's now ditched for this actress mistress. He might as well have just ridden off the plane on an old bicycle with a string of garlic round his neck. A big step back. He's an offensive stereotype, Andy. <laughs> uh, as you say, this was a chance. This was promoted as a chance for two nations who've had a sometimes tricky relationship over the last uh, decade or two to come together. And it's been portrayed here as a huge success with the French leader announcing in a press conference that mutual trust had been restored. And if you were standing outside the apartment of the ex-Mrs. Hollande uh, in France, I'm pretty sure you could have heard her say, oh, huh, 
I'm so pleased to hear that um, trust has been restored. America is certainly admirably forgiving. Um, although, to be fair, I don't believe the US was consistently lied to by France in the past, only for it to turn out all along the France was f***ing another country! <laughs> in, in the same press conference, President Obama praised France's military role in helping quash extremist violence in Africa after uh, the French and the US collaborated this year on missions in Mali and the Central African Republic. And it's such a classic story, Andy. What brings a relationship together better than a military intervention? <laughs> Any good marriage counsellor will tell you that. Things are going a little stale. Why not try um, scented candles or fighting your way through the Congolese jungle together? <laughs> uh, Hollande is not uh, what you would describe as a, as a classic uh, Hollywood pin-up boy. Um, and uh, one journalist was quoted in the British newspaper as saying that his sex appeal is, quote, as inexplicable as unpasteurised cheese. <laughs> well, I mean, this whoever said this needs to change their f***ing cheese supplier. Unpasteurised <laughs> cheese is a passport to eternal happiness. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, he said this is in the week of, uh, of Valentine's Day. Uh, there was, uh, I read a poll of the most... Romantic nationalities and France came in fourth uh, behind uh, Spain, Argentina, and Italy. A creditable fourth mm-hmm. place. Britain not in the top ten, sadly. America ah. seventh. Ooh, uh, three three places ahead of the tenth place Vietnamese. Um, <laughs> both top ten. That's uh, I mean, it doesn't mean if you watch Apocalypse Now with this fact in mind, it basically comes across as a rom com. Um, <laughs> France, the fourth most romantic nation in another survey, came uh, came out as the rudest nation in the world. And in uh, another survey, it came across as the nation that is most tolerant of men wearing Speedo swimming trunks on the beach. And you can read oh, into those three surveys whatever you want, provided what you read into them is telling someone to go f*** themselves while wearing nothing but a pair of skimpy wangle and flugel nut contour flaunting undersplants is more likely to make someone fall in love with you than a trip to the cinema and a romantic meal. Use that information wisely, buglers. Test it out if you want, and please, if you do test it out, report back on how it pans out for you. The top five most romantic nations, John, Spain, Argentina, Italy, France, Brazil... They've all won the Football World Cup at least once since 1974. In fact, eight of the nine last World Cups have been won by the five most romantic nations on earth, the exception being, of course, Germany. So I mean, that, that really is, that, sh- that shows you what, a, what an amazing sport football must be. Yeah, well, you can't argue with uh, statistics, Andy, and, and Brit- even when they seem to be deployed inappropriately. <laughs> Britain got third in the rudeness table, bronze medal. Bronze medal for the third, being the third rudest nation on earth. That is That's bollocks. Good. Who the f*** are these c***s doing this bullshit survey anyway? <laughs> they should f*** the f*** off and leave us the f*** alone. We're not f***ing rude in this country. Who are these c***s? Cup of tea. Uh, Russia second. Germany fourth. That is down three in just 70 years. Uh, America seventh. The least rude of the countries in the survey. Uh, Brazil. Uh, pretty hard to give off a leave me the f*** alone vibe when you're trying an unlikely overhead kick. Uh, on the beach. There you go. Oh, Chris, you better warm up that bleeping thing. You don't want to pull something. <laughs> F- Stretch it out. The UK press has been reporting the uh, French state visit here in the US in a way that has made Britain sound like a jealous partner. <laughs> Because uh, the newspapers were filled with worried reports about whether France had uh, taken over the role of special relationship with the US from the British, with 
the panic of a paranoid ex-girlfriend. It, it seemed that we were only one step away from sending David Cameron over unannounced to crash the press conference, only to storm in, look President Obama in the eye and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realise you were with this bitch. <laughs> I'm telling you, Andy, from the tone of the reports, I think Britain and the ex-Mrs. Hollande have been eating a lot of ice cream together this week. <laughs> uh, in, uh, in other Valentine's Day news, a restaurant here in New York is offering a $30,000 Valentine's Day menu in a pretty seismic f*** you to poor people in this country <laughs> and around the world. Um, Barack Karakam... Uh, owner of the Pera Mediterranean Brasserie on uh, Madison Avenue, said it promises, and I quote, a unique experience with all the right touches. This is an extravagant experience featuring some of the most aphrodisiac ingredients. Well, I have to say, Andy, if um, if I had a $30,000 dinner, the most aphrodisiac ingredient would be $29,500 cash back at the end of that meal. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, what do you get for a $30,000 meal that makes it worth it, other than dessert being the keys to a new f***ing car? Well, um, you get a $1,600 an ounce royal osteria caviar. You get a molten chocolate cake topped with edible 24-karat gold. You get Shelter Island oysters and three main courses, including lobster, roasted venison and rack of lamb. That meal is not an aphrodisiac, Andy. That is a digestive hand grenade. You... You are absolutely going to need a scented candle afterwards, not to set a sexy mood, but to cover up the gigantic romantic dump you're going to have to take. <laughs> well, it puts a lot of pressure as well if you're not splitting the bill, doesn't it? I mean, you know, you're going to want some payback for that. Um, uh, the owner of the restaurant, Andy, says that he imagines a specific couple showing up, saying uh, <laughs> someone with a long-lost love, a love-against-all-odds situation, and this... It's kind of the final icing on the cake to bring it all together. Uh, no, Andy, that is not who's going to be turning up for a $30,000 dinner. I'll tell you who is, though, a hedge fund manager and his closest personal prostitute. <laughs> that is who that guy is catering for. Incredibly, the restaurant is also offering insurance just in case the evening doesn't end well in the form of a therapist and a matchmaker <coughs> also being part of the package if Valentine's heartbreak winds up on the menu. Uh, the owner said, this, there's still a great story to be told. We'll try and put the gentleman back in the game quickly. Um, apparently they've also included a cleaner, Andy, in the Harvey Keitel sense, so that you can murder her and dispose of the body all before <laughs> dessert arrives. The whole thing clearly just smacks of being a shameless marketing ploy to make money. And if that's true, then what actually could be more appropriate on Valentine's Day than that? <laughs> Uh, cool, not everyone's into Valentine's Day. And a, a heroically single Chinese man, uh, still recovering from the breakup of a relationship uh, last year, uh, has tried to put a spanner in other people's Valentine's Day works by buying up odd number seats at uh, his local cinema to stop any couples sitting together. Um, <laughs> the fact that he was doing this apparently spread on social media. And other people then started helping him out by buying all the odd number seats in the cinema until there were no pairs left. Now, the man claimed it was a joke, uh, but I think uh, I rather, rather think he's just a massive movie fan, and if you're watching one of the classic films, you don't want to be distracted by the smooching slurps of a saliva swap or the Casanovan crunch of lasciviously shared popcorn or by someone saying, please remove your hand from my crotch, I'm trying to watch this film. You want to be able to concentrate fully on the film 
he also claimed that he hoped that people watching the Valentine's Day showing at the cinema might find themselves sitting next to someone they didn't know, thus sparking new relationships. Well, not if this goes according to plan. What it's more likely to spark is conversations like, do you think we're essentially alone in a pitiless universe that love is a man-made mirage to soften the unending rabbit punches of truth to the solar plexus and that Smurfs 2 is a film you want to hear every single word of so much hey, hey. wants so many layers. Me too. Want some popcorn? Buy your own, dickbag. <laughs> of course, there are other ways of going about Valentine's Day. It does uh, really provide a kind of unrealistic expectation of what uh, romance uh, is truly about. And um, I guess there's very, you know, you could... I think really we should be looking at doing the least romantic acts possible to make the rest of the year seem like a 364-day whirlwind of affection, including uh, bugle suggestions for you. Find a large rotten stick in the woods, jab it through your loved one's front window with a note tied to it saying, can I borrow five pounds to buy some anti-eczema cream for my flaky elbow? Or lay the table with candles and flowers, cook a nice meal, then summon your loved one with the words, dinner time for Nicky Numskull. Take a baseball bat and smash the food, plates and table to pieces. And that, I believe, will do more for your long-term relationship than uh, conventional uh, romantic actions. Uh, Alternatively, poetry, of course, very popular uh, uh, on uh, Valentine's Day. But we live in a very hectic world and we can't afford the time and effort to express our emotions in uh, any more detail these days than a single smiley or sad face, or as they're known, a remoticon, so-called because they are a con, and they make you feel more remote from genuine human communication. Of course, now known as emoticons because of their lack of genuine feeling. There is no R in remoticon, hence emoticon, a little bit of modern etymology for you. So we have no time for the big, long, waffly expressions of love people used to pen in the olden days. Shakespeare, with his hit sonnet, uh, Shall I Compare Thee to a Summer's Day?, um, I forget how it goes on. I think it's, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Yes, good. In which case, you're like a summer's day because I can't spend any time with you because there's cricket on the telly. Cup of tea would be nice. (laughs) Cheers, babe. It's 140 for three, by the way. (laughs) But if Shakespeare was around today, well, for a start, he'd probably be writing advertising jingles about domestic cleaning products. Um, Well, yeah. I mean, even in the day, he had to earn a living. In fact, recent research shows that he doubled up his playwriting uh, job as head of creative for the Elizabethan ad agency Strout, Bacon and Gripe, who ran campaigns for, amongst others, Bubonics Plague Remedies, You Go, Bubo, and Heretico, accessories for the re- for religious dissenters, including the very fetching Persecutes Fire Retardant Catholic Ape, which would extend the life of a customer being burned at the stake by between 30 and 45 minutes, sold with a slogan, Don't worry, I'll cook. Uh, but if Big Billy Shake It was around today, he wouldn't have the time or inclination to waste 14 lines of prime sonnet banging on about how he about uh, how he's wondering whether or not to compare some chick to a summer's day. He'd probably just boil it down to a simple, uncomplicated, Fwooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooo
In an amazing twist for both music and morality, <laughs> a Canadian rock band has officially sent a bill to the US military after they were told that their music was used to torment detainees at Guantanamo. That is quite a royalty check to demand, <laughs> Andy. The band in question is called Skinny Puppy, pioneers of industrial metal, the music that is, well, not actually industrial metal, the pioneers of which was, of course, the British peasants in the late 1700s. Uh, but the keyboardist for the band, uh, Kevin Key, said that uh, they are seeking $666,000 um, for use of their music, saying, I'm not only against the fact that they're using our music to inflict damage on somebody else, but they're doing it without anybody's permission. Classic selective musician morality, Andy. This is morally wrong, and I'm totally against it happening unless I'm being paid for it. The real victim in this torture of an uncharged detainee is the artist. It's the artist. I think they might have been playing some of our early episodes of The Bugle as well. Um. Kevin Key went on to say, I wouldn't want to be subjected to any overly loud music for six to 12 hours at a time without a break. And exactly, Andy, he's right. At the very least, throw some between-song patter in there. Because uh, here is an extract of Skinny Puppy right now. So, the very least they could do, Andy, is something like this. Hey, we're Skinny Puppy. Great to be with you today. This is from our 2013 album, Weapon. Available on Metropolis Records. Shout out to Guantanamo Bay, the controversial facility in the Republic of Cuba. Shout out to all our fans stuck in legal limbo. <laughs> well, I say fans, I really mean people subjected to our music with the aim of inflicting pain. <laughs> Come to see us live sometime. Check out our website for tour dates. <laughs> That's skinnypuppy.com. We got the dot com. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would that would make it make it better, but um, I mean, I'm just not sure this is the right type of music. Personally, I'd rather. Uh, I think light-hearted music is in many ways more intrusively offensive than than deliberately intrusively offensive music. Uh, I mean, if they just played this song uh, "Snooker Loopy" um, <laughs> to these detainees, which uh, was a snooker-themed novelty pop hit in the mid 1980s in Britain. Uh -huh. Then I think, I mean, by your 40th or 50th repetition of the words pot the reds and screw back for the yellow, green, blue, brown, blue, pink and black, you will basically confess to absolutely anything. In fact, a mate of mine did a 20 stretch for claiming he was the real Dr. Crippen after just hearing that song twice in the same afternoon. <laughs> well, that's the point, because this is, of course, nothing new, Andy. It has been reported in the past that the US military uh, at their other detention facilities in Iraq and Afghanistan um, blasted loud music into cells uh, ranging from Metallica and Nine Inch Nails to Sesame Street and Barney the Dinosaur. <laughs> and Barney the Dinosaur never sued, Andy. I can only presume that's because he likes people being tortured to his music, the sick purple <laughs> f***. <laughs> good, job to get, good job to get in the military. Yeah. You know, we're very much out of the, the, the front, out of the firing line. Playlist compiler, DJ. This one's going out to Ahmed in cell 13. Who hates the West? <laughs> But this is the first time that a band has attempted to take legal action to get paid. 
And uh, Key said that while his band's, he acknowledged that his band's music could be a terrible nightmare for some, for some listeners. To others, it's a creative artistic endeavour that plays with dark writings and dark cinema. That is a hell of a description, Andy, because <laughs> you could probably describe our podcast like that, Andy. It could be a terrible nightmare to some listeners. Uh, it would, uh, it wouldn't, wouldn't it though? Wouldn't it be incredible if it turned out that this is actually the thing? that ends up closing Guantanamo <laughs> Bay. But it's like getting Al Capone on tax evasion, Andy. This, it would be amazing. Guantanamo wasn't shut down due to egregious human rights violations. It was shut down due to copyright law infraction. <laughs> Listen, we'll take it. They got Whichever they, way it comes. They also got Capone for making illegal uh, mixtapes of uh, late 1920s <laughs> classics as well. Historic burglary news now, and there's been a big spat, John, between Boris Johnson, the uh, mayor of London and de facto king of the British Empire, and the Hollywood heartthrob, uh, George Clooney, um, who made a comment that uh, he thought that the uh, Parthenon marbles, or the Elgin marbles, as they're known after the man who stole them, should be returned to Greece. Boris Johnson uh, uh, responded by saying that Clooney needs his marbles restored. And so these words... Boom, boom, Andy. Clooney is advocating... uh, Johnson pointed out that uh, the Nazis have apparently drawn up plans to return the the marbles to Greece. They were so so interested in doing the right thing, weren't they, Andy? Well, and Boris Johnson said these words, this Clooney is advocating nothing less than the Hitlerian agenda for London's cultural treasures. Oh, my God. God. Well, you have to snuff these things out, John, at root, because this is where it all starts. One minute you're advocating returning stolen goods to their rightful owners. The next, you're invading Czechoslovakia and instigating genocide. It's a slippery slope. It's not just a slippery slope, it's a bobsled run. Once you've set off, there is absolutely no way off it. We might as well bang Clooney to right you in the Hague right now and be done with it. Um, yes, he, he, Johnson said that the Nazis were, a little surprisingly, you might think, planning to send their marbles back to Athens. Now... I mean, I don't know, I mean, I never actually met Hitler, and I can't claim to understand his thought processes, but from what I've read about him, I'd be surprised if he'd progressed that far in his plans to build a special museum in Athens, specifically for these historic sculptures to be seen in something approaching uh, a valid context. But maybe maybe this was his big thing, John, antiquities in context. Uh, Mr. Fuhrer, we need to sign off on these plans for the Russian campaign. I think we're going to need to order quite a lot more overcoats. Can see off shits and cough. Ich bin fucking under the gallery special special plans for the Egyptian relic and exhibition snits in the annoying Valley Wonder Kings Museum. This aber den Nile und Flusswater. Fucking. Ich bin an angry Adolf. Angry, angry archaeologists in shaft. Ich bin furious. Getting the it. Führer, 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 the Führer. Ah, scheißen. It's beautiful language. Sonorous lyrical language. It was a. It's just a classic clownish overstretch uh, from Boris Johnson. <laughs> you know, he goes in there with the uh, someone needs to restore George Clooney's marbles. Boom, Oscar Wilde lives, Andy, and he is currently <laughs> mayor of London with even sillier hair than before. <laughs> but rather than stopping after that perfect put down, he continued with his Hitler analogy. And what what you need to remember is that he deserves sympathy more than condemnation. Boris Johnson suffers from Achilles' mouth. It's his <laughs> fatal weakness. Now... Now, regardless, let's just look at the actual content of what George Clooney said, though, Andy, which is that he, you know, he thought the organ marble should probably be returned to where they belong. But let's let's look at that 
in the context of history, because obviously, historically, Andy, they belong to Britain. Uh, unfortunately, even more historically, that is, any time pre-1801, they belong to Greece. <laughs> so it really just depends when you think history started. If it's any time after 1802, those marbles are ours, and I don't know who this ancient Greece is. <laughs> 1877 for me, John. That's when the first <laughs> test match was played. So, um, And also, once again, we see that uh, Johnson, of course, uh, Conservative Mayor of London, shows that the, the Tories have a very different view on returning people to where they came from if those people are made of marble rather than <laughs> people. <laughs> uh, he clearly said this. He said, I do think it's worth having an open discussion. It was one of a hundred questions at a press conference, a Greek reporter asking me about the marbles, and I just said I thought it was probably a good idea if they found a way back at some point. But if you play it backwards, it sounds like this. Yes, I'd be all in favour of a thousand-year Reich. Why the f*** not? So maybe Johnson has a point. Is that technically true, 1877, Andy? Didn't they not know they were playing a test match then and only retrospectively... They've oh. called those games test matches. Oh, so, just so, called you out so on a cricket still, fact. No, it's still when... But when they... When so, they didn't call it f***ing one, 1 AD oh as soon dear. as Jesus was born, did they? No, That's no, the way true. it works, mate. <laughs> okay, fair point. I'm, I'm just saying, they 1877's a tough one to well, define. Boy, that nearly, that nearly really escalated <laughs> fast then. There was a twitch <laughs> across the room. And that is why it's so important that Britain never does get firearms. <laughs> <laughs> Cat name competition entries now. And, uh, well, last week we had an email from Amy and Josh uh, uh, with the, frankly, inadvisable request that um, we name their new cat for them. Uh, we opened Bad it up to a competition for buglers. That, that was, yeah, that was only followed up by an even worse idea, Andy, which was you throwing that out to the room. <laughs> Oh, you know, love democracy, John. Big, big fan. <laughs> uh, thanks to the many of you who've sent in suggestions for what this cat should be called. Um, some uh-huh. of them include not cat lovers, for judging by your entries. Uh, a lot of leader-themed suggestions, including uh, a lot of people saying Chairman Meow, which uh, as, uh, I think David Badil had. Didn't he have a cat called Chairman Meow? I know we used to call a cat in, uh, in when I lived in, uh, in Brixton, the chairman, when he uh, used to wander mm-hmm. across the garden. Uh, some, a lot of Silvio Berlusconi um, variations. Um, yeah. uh, Silvio Berlusconi. Um, I think you can do better than that. Katamir Pertin. Uh, <laughs> or Katamir Mutin. Bit, um, bit forced. Yep. Silv Meow Berlusconi. That's, that's chucked in another meow in there. Um, Barak yep. Obiaum Meowma. Wow. It's, uh, pushing a little bit. Uh, Dwight's Meows in Hauer. That's. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Fidel Castro, I do like that. That's um, better. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Joseph Meowbutu. Um, that's uh, I mean, Joseph. That's, would work, that's uh, <laughs> something I like about that. Um, Nigel Lee pointed out that any Putin-related name would be good uh, because presumably the cat will be walking around topless, killing local wildlife. So it would be appropriate as it was topical. <laughs> so. Uh, this uh, David King came up with a couple of particularly good suggestions um, that you should get another cat as uh, they're social animals and can benefit from companionship. Mostly, he says it would give me opportunity to live out my lifelong dream of getting two cats that can't quite see eye to eye, naming them Yasser Arakat and Benjamin Kitten Yahoo. <laughs> um, Eric Ransbottom suggested Meowgrit Scratcher. Oh, God. Um, 
And uh, another suggestion for uh, uh, for uh, Thatcher, described as the Genghis Khan of Grantham by Tim in Sydney, Australia, uh, who suggested it should be either Thatcher or, or Putin, the cat's name. Either way, you're right, seeing Margaret Thatcher or Vladimir Putin licking its own arsehole on the sofa <laughs> would be a very satisfying feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we did ask for it not to be too rude, but that did not stop Josh from Perth in Western Australia saying, I'm sure we can all agree that the most bugle-appropriate name for Amy and Josh's cat would be Penis, if only for the frequency which you'd be able to have your very own penis-on-roof story. That's uh, it's going better, right, to Bugle 69, I yeah. think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. One, of the, one of the all-time classics of, of satire, and one of the issues that other organs were afraid to address. Uh, Meow Mar Gaddafi had been suggested uh, by various people. Oliver Jackson, call that furry bastard Hammerpaw Flash Inferno and be done with it. I like that. I think that's a strong name. Um, uh, Andy in Stockport suggests, uh, I have a suggestion for the naming of the cat. You should call it Stop Shitting Behind the Tell You Little Cat or I'll Tell You to the Kebab Shop because that is what we should have called our cat. Uh, Zach Rogers suggests Plaxico Per S and signs off, whoop, right. there it is. Okay. Yep. Nikiti Khrushchev. Uh, another one. Brian Drake in Gallatin, Tennessee, says my absolute favourite name for a cat is Professor Fuzznuts. <laughs> and, of course, since they're not certain what gender they're getting, uh, in the case of a lady cat, it should be Lady Fuzzy Tits. <laughs> so there we go. I think we have now seen well done, the humanity. short-sightedness well of, um, of uh, Pope John Paws II from... Uh, Will Blake, who also suggested Moggy Thatcher. Uh, and various people have suggested Riot, as in Pussy Riot, given it another topical Winter Olympics-themed suggestion. So, uh, I don't know, John, are any, any of those that stand out for you for well, I mean, I don't, winners? I've I got a soft spot for Joseph Miyabutu. <laughs> just, <laughs> just for the conversation starter or stopper that that would provide. Yeah. So you could call it Butu, as in Meow Butu. I mean, that would probably work right. as a cat's name. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if uh, Amy and Josh are starting to regret throwing this in our direction. I'm sure they are. Yep. I mean, I, I was, I'm also not surprised that any of this has happened, Andy, after <laughs> you uh, instigated it. This is uh, where we th- were always was, going to end up. Uh, well, another, picking up on a, on a, uh, one of your bugle words, John, Martin Ray suggested it should be called astrotunity, as in cat astrotunity. So, I mean, you could call it Astro for short. That's quite a good name for a cat, isn't it? Cat Astrotunity. Uh, mm-hmm. Also suggested Two two Poor Shakur and Kitty Smalls, kind of hip-hop-themed um, cat names. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like Godfrey, as in Kitty Godfrey, but that's a bit of a niche reference for fans of 1920s women's tennis. <laughs> so, um, Just call so it f***ing mittens and get it done with. F***ing mittens. Yeah, well, not f***ing, but mittens. <laughs> So I mean, it's a, it's a tough one. I think um, I think Butu, maybe Meow Butu. That's um, that, that seems to be the front runner. We might have to sit on this and decide <laughs> over, over the weekend. Anyway, Buglus, you've uh, you've let yourself down, and you've let Amy and Josh and all the cats of the world down. <laughs> Meow Grit Scratcher was good though. Do keep your emails coming into info at thebuglepodcast.com. The cat competition entries are now closed. I repeat, they are now closed at least one week too late. Don't forget also to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle, and our webpage, thebuglepodcast.com, 
uh, where you can take out your voluntary subs and buy your bugle scarf and other forms of merchandise. The scarf, the scarf is sensational. Sensational. Uh, that is it for this week's Bugle. Uh, I'm afraid, I think next week we're going to have to get a bit Sweden 1753 on you, by which I mean we're going straight from the 17th of February to the 1st of March with nothing in between, like Sweden <laughs> did in 1753 when they switched from the Julian to the Gregorian calendar, by oh which I mean we're, we're probably going to have to take next week off. But we will put a sub-Bugle, <laughs> a sub-bugle out. Wow. Oh, God, it's educational. Isn't it? Wow, I guess. <laughs> I guess it is. <laughs> well, I don't think it's so much educating people in a fact as to what a human adult can do with their life <laughs> uh, thanks very much for listening Buglers until next time goodbye bye <laughs>